Hello, and welcome to the Lemon Tree Coaching Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Allison Sukamelli. Each week, I'll be taking the science of positive psychology, adding a little humor, and through evidence-based research, provide you with tools and strategies to help you live a life of peace and purpose. In this episode, we'll be talking about the etymology of podcasts and fostering flow. But first, if you're looking for bandanas and scarves for your best furry friends, check out scarfandtail.com for well-made scarves with fun patterns and use code SPRING for 20% off all products. The patterns are really cute and you are bound to find something that matches your fur baby's personality. So check it out today at scarfandtail.com. And teachers, you may also want to check out The Lemon Tree by AKS on TPT, formerly known as Teachers Pay Teachers. I am constantly adding resources and lessons each week, several of which I mention on the podcast. For instance, the stop method and rain printouts are now available for free. I also recently created some bundles, so again, check it out on TPT. My shop name is The Lemon Tree by AKS. And if you see the quote, let nothing dim the light that shines from within by Maya Angelou, you are in the right spot. You can also find a link in the show notes at thelemontreecoaching.com under the resources tab. Okay, so let's get into it. Welcome back to TLT. This past week, I was watching season 15, episode 16 of Grey's Anatomy, and yes, I'm very far behind in my viewing, years behind, I think. But anyhow, in this episode, Richard asks why podcasts are called podcasts and goes through a series of things that are in pods, but never arrives at why podcasts are called podcasts. So of course, it got me thinking, why is a podcast a podcast? What is the first podcast? Sounds like some questions from my Da Vinci notebook. But I was so curious, I had to look it up right away, and I want to share it with you. You may already know the etymology of podcast, but I am not as enlightened, apparently. So I tried to figure out and I wagered some guesses as to who had the first podcast, and I came up with Joe Rogan, but that's not correct, and I knew it wasn't Tim Ferriss because he was on Joe Rogan's podcast at the very beginning, if I'm not mistaken, and perhaps the first podcast was a crime podcast. I just had to look it up and share it with everyone. I guess it's just the teacher and me. So here's what I found. According to Reddit and Wikipedia, podcast is a portmanteau of iPod and broadcast, and a portmanteau is a blend of words in which parts of multiple words are combined into a new word, hence iPod and broadcast to get podcast, just like blending smoke and fog to get smog, as well as motel blended from motor and hotel. And the earliest use of podcasting was traced to the Guardian columnist, the BBC journalist Ben Hammersley, who coined it in early February 2004 while writing an article for the Guardian newspaper. The term was first used in the autoblogging community in September of 2004 when Danny Gregory, spelled G-R-E-G-O-I-R-E, introduced it in a message to the iPodder dev mailing list from where it was adopted by podcaster Adam Curry. So despite the etymology, the content can be accessed using any computer or similar device that can play media files. 
The term podcast predates Apple's addition of podcasting features to the iPod and the iTunes software. And some sources have suggested the backronym Portable On Demand or Play On Demand for Pod to avoid those loose references to the iPod. So again, all of this according to Reddit and Wikipedia. And in my research, I even discovered another great podcast called Word Journeys, an etymology podcast that explores the stories behind the origins of English words, which are constantly evolving. So Word Journeys may be worth checking out if you are interested. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed my origin story relating to my Da Vinci Notebook, the etymology of podcasts, and portmanteaus. Have you ever been doing something for a while and have found yourself completely engaged and immersed in whatever it is you were doing? Time just slipped away unnoticed, the outside world ceased to exist, and your full attention was on and immersed in your task. This task could be any number of things, and maybe the task is the wrong word as it draws many negative connotations, but it could be something you really love doing like writing a script, playing the piano, or putting together a model airplane. If this has ever happened to you, you most likely were experiencing a state of flow or what is commonly known and often used in sports as being in the zone. And flow is said to be one of life's most pleasurable states of being in which the world around us falls away. You are completely present. Your mind is functioning optimally. You are at your creative best. You experience more productivity. And to put it simply, you are happy. Obviously, flow is important in positive psychology as well when it comes to living a life of peace and purpose. And according to positive psychologist Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, um, and yes, I used a phonetic guide to attempt that pronunciation, but again, Csikszentmihalyi says, psychological flow captures the positive mental state of being completely absorbed focused, and involved in your activities at a certain point in time, as well as deriving enjoyment from being engaged in that activity. Flow is total absorption in the activity to the point in which you, the person, or they do not think, care, or notice what they look like, or even if they are good at whatever the activity is. And this makes me think of that old saying, dance like nobody's watching, and people experiencing a flow state do indeed dance, 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 and in an optimal state of flow, a billion people could be watching, but the person in the flow state is so absorbed, it really is like no one is watching. And researchers Nakamura and Csikszentmihalyi discuss a number of conditions that foster flow. Their first theory is that flow flourishes when proximal goals or objectives that are attainable in a fairly short amount of time are clearly established and steps to reach that goal are clearly laid out. So this is why sports and other physical activities serve as good examples for experiences of flow. When it comes to sports, it's pretty simple to know the steps. Win the game, sprint faster, lift more weight, beat your personal record, and so on. And the second condition that the researchers theorize fosters flow is immediate feedback on your actions. This feedback can come in the form of another person or from the environment. So for example, if you are practicing the high jump and the bar keeps giving you feedback that you keep knocking it down, 
Perhaps the bar is telling you that your actions or your skills are not at the level they need to be for this particular height for the high jump and this specific challenge in this moment. This feedback is coming forth while you are engaged in this activity, giving you the opportunity to blend your actions with your newfound awareness. Another example could be the recent launch of SpaceX's new Starship rocket, which exploded after takeoff. Many people quickly jumped to the conclusion that this was a failure. However, retired Canadian astronaut and former commander of the International Space Station, Chris Hadfield explained on CTV News why this was an enormously successful test flight and SpaceX will learn a lot from this event and why it bodes well for the future. Hadfield explains that the first flight of the F-14 crashed, the first flight of the F-16 wasn't even supposed to be a flight, and the Wright brothers crashed more times than you can count. People don't normally see the test flights and expect everything to be perfect. This particular launch was the very first orbital attempt of the biggest rocket ever built with 33 engines, a vehicle that can give us capability we've never had before. And at the end, people say it explodes, but it may have been auto-command destruct. So to the untrained eye, it may not have looked like what they wanted, but this was enormously successful and really paves the way towards what's coming next. And with this launch, SpaceX learned so much. They made it through the maximum pressure and above most of the atmosphere, and now more is known about how that vehicle flies today, which will be followed by analysis, additional checks, and modifications. To see the full interview with Chris Hadfield on CTV News, check the show notes for a link if you are interested. So in terms of feedback, in the case of the SpaceX Starship rocket, immediate feedback was given via the vehicle, and now SpaceX can merge next steps with what they learned from this first launch. And the third condition of flow, according to Nakamura and Chiksen Mihai, flow most likely occurs when the challenge of the activity and your skills to meet that challenge are in balance. This is necessary to create optimal flow. And there's this great YouTube uh, video that expands on this called What It Takes to Become an Expert, based on the book Peak, Secrets from the New Science of Expertise by Anders Ericsson and Robert Poole. Deliberate practice is discussed and defined as focused practice with a certain goal in mind. This can be applied to any field. They also talk about obstacles that hinder improvement and how to overcome them and set up the optimal conditions for performance. And if you find a challenge is too advanced for your skill level, regardless of what the activity is, you are likely to experience frustration and anxiety instead of flow. And on the opposite end of the spectrum, if you are doing something that is too easy for your skill set to the point of it not requiring any skill at all, like watching TV, you may experience boredom of faux flow. That's hard to say. Faux flow, which the researchers describe as a state where time passes without you noticing, but doesn't involve intense focus on the present moment or the coming together of your actions and awareness. And according to cultures of thinking, learning occurs at the point of challenge. 
Turning to the classroom for a moment, if learning tasks are purposeful, contextualized, challenging, and self-differentiated, then all students will experience deep and powerful learning. Researchers Darling Hammond, Heiler, and Gardner, 2017, state that the pressure of mastery for academic skills sometimes pushes teachers to focus on transferring information at a quick pace rather than taking time to fully immerse students in the journey of learning, allowing them to grapple with ideas, sort through ambiguities, and deal with complexities. Swartz adds, what gets lost is the opportunity for deep learning and rich understanding of the material, the very things needed for long-term retention and robust transfer. And evidence shows that teachers' tendency to reduce the challenge of tasks in order to make tasks more manageable for students is common practice. And the simplification often removes the very struggle that promotes students' learning and engagement. It is the struggle that fosters deep learning and understanding. The flow model, which Sent Mihai initially wrote about in his book, Flow, The Psychology of Optimal Experience, shows the emotional states that we're likely to experience when trying to complete a task depending on the perceived difficulty of the challenge and our perceptions of our skill levels. Cheeksint Mihai also has a TED Talk called Flow, The Secret to Happiness, which I will link in the show notes. Cheeksint Mihai also outlines 10 experiences that go with the state of being and flow. Number one, having a clear understanding of what you want to achieve. Number two, being able to concentrate for a sustained period of time. Number three, losing the feeling of consciousness of oneself. Number four, finding that time passes quickly. Number five, getting direct and immediate feedback. Number six, experiencing a balance between your ability levels and the challenge. Number seven, having a sense of personal control over the situation. Number eight, feeling that the activity is intrinsically rewarding. Number nine, lacking awareness of bodily needs. And number 10, being completely absorbed in the activity itself. So for flow to happen, all of these factors do not necessarily have to be in place. However, you are likely to experience several of them when flow does occur. And please note, as mentioned in number eight of the flow model, that flow is not about external validation or rewards. This is because flow and engagement in an activity generates feelings of competence, confidence, enjoyment, peace, and purpose. And if you want to increase your well-being, creativity, and or productivity, you will want to cultivate flow. So the big question is, what can we do to cultivate flow and improve well-being, creativity, and productivity? Of course, this can be a challenging feat with all the distractions of the outside world and if we have a negative interior monologue that runs through our head on most days. So one quick and easy tip to help achieve flow is to approach your tasks, your goals, your assessment of your personal performance without judgment. And according to Lopez, Pedrati, and Snyder, non-judging is impartial witnessing, observing the present moment by moment without evaluation and categorization. 
They also define non-striving as non-goal-oriented behavior, remaining unattached to outcome or achievement and not forcing things. The researchers also pose the question, what would happen if you practice these behaviors for one day in a significant relationship? Try no judgments and no forcing things. Be an impartial witness, remain unattached to the outcomes for one day, and attempt careful introspection. Again, this is coming from Lopez, Pedrotti, and Snyder in Positive Psychology, the Scientific and Practical Explorations of Human Strengths. I'll leave a link in the show notes if you're interested in reading more. Another personal mini-experiment by the same researchers is called Finding Flow in Your School Day, and this could be applied to be in school at any level and in any role, whether you are a student, professor, teacher, counselor, administrator, and so on. The researchers pose the question, have you ever wondered how much your screen time, be it time in front of the television, surfing the internet, texting, or gaming, affects your ability to immerse yourself in your schoolwork? Again, I'm going to say that this question extends also to teachers and everyone really. And Pedrati, Lopez, and Snyder recommend taking a break from all screen time except the academic use of computers. And this is a really big challenge for students, right? So take a break from all screens for two days and determine whether your ability to concentrate increases or decreases. If focused attention increases during this trial period, be sure to decrease screen time during busy times in your academic semester. And if you'd like to read more, again, check the show notes for a link to the book. It's fantastic. And in addition to being in a flow state while playing a sport or being engaged in an activity that you are passionate about, pursuitofhappiness.org has found that students sometimes report entering this highly enjoyable state of flow while studying, especially while they are studying subjects to which they are naturally inclined. To think of studying in this way may be unusual, given that it is something that students often avoid until assessment deadlines are looming, as something that students have to do rather than choose to do. This is a global phenomenon, and even the Cantonese expression, which refers to studying, literally translates as force-feeding the duck. And the pursuitofhappiness.org goes on to say that flow has the potential to increase the speed at which a student can acquire new knowledge and ultimately lead to greater academic success. And Korean researchers Cho, Kang, Sun, and Yang, 2015, investigated school students' experiences of flow during study and asked them to describe how they had entered this highly rewarding and productive state. And here's what they uncovered. 1. Get comfortable. Sit in a comfortable chair that encourages you to maintain good posture, wear comfortable clothing, and make sure the room you are studying in is not too hot or too cold. Discomfort is a distraction, and flow requires the mind to be completely absorbed in the activity. 2. Remove distractions such as social media and music. A key component to cultivating flow is also to minimize distractions, and this may vary from person to person. But switching off mobile phones and minimizing ambient noise from music and other people also encourages flow. And research has shown that students often protest against teachers, parents, and mentors who urge them to switch off music, 
arguing that making studying that it makes studying more enjoyable, that it doesn't stop anyone from learning and actually helps them to focus. The same arguments have been applied to being on social media or talking to others while studying. The student's argument is valid to a degree, and learning can still occur while music is playing and while there are other distractions around. However, if you want to achieve flow, flow requires complete absorption in a task, and you are less likely to enter this highly productive and enjoyable state while studying if you have music playing, text coming in, and social media apps open, or any number of other things interrupting you. Next, researchers also found that some students reported that flow was more likely to occur while they are studying late late at night or at dawn. The more highly concentrated state may occur at these times for two reasons. First, less activity around them, hence fewer distractions, allowing the mind to be better absorbed in the material. And two, there are times during the day when we're naturally energetic and productive and other times when our bodies slow down. And for example, the 3 p.m. slump is extremely common and teachers especially know what I'm talking about. However, not everyone has the same patterns. Some are morning larks, some are night owls, others are more productive in the middle of the day. And just like self-care, not being a one-size-fits-all, the same goes for study habits. If your best friends study late at night because that works for them and they easily can find productivity and flow at those hours, it doesn't mean that this will work for you as well. The bottom line, find the times of the day when you are most energetic, and if you have this liberty, choose those times to study. And when students try to study all day, their productivity tends to decrease significantly through fatigue. So if you know the times that you are less productive, take a break then, go outside and get some fresh air, go for an awe walk, exercise, meditate, or do something else that you enjoy, and return to studying later, feeling re-energized, refreshed, and invigorated. Fourth, students are more likely to experience flow while studying material that interests them. Flow is more likely to occur while studying subjects that one naturally enjoys, reading interesting and well-written material, and when using multiple learning materials such as audiovisual and visual aids to reinforce the same subject matter. The researchers also found that flow is less likely to occur when the subject requires rote memorization, but this should not deter anyone from taking a subject that requires this type of learning because it is often a necessary step in mastering a field that one is passionate about. Doctors need to learn anatomy, language scholars need to memorize vocabulary and grammatical structures, musicians need to understand basic chord structures. And these are never the most enjoyable tasks involved in mastering any of these fields. However, it is important to understand that without learning the basics, you will never have the highly satisfying and flow-inducing experience of curing a patient, holding a conversation in a foreign language, or making music that delights both the performer and the listener. The researchers suggest that a productive first step may be to talk to your tutor or coach about the most efficient ways to grasp the material in the subject, which requires rote memorization. They also urge us to use the most effective learning methods and choose a time of day for study when you're likely to feel most energetic. Next, the research also found that competition and assessment stress have an interesting relationship with flow. Flow occurs more often when imminent assessments spur the student into action. 
students are also more likely to enter flow when they seek to outdo each other in areas that they feel competent in. However, studies show that there is a negative effect on flow from constant pressure to achieve top grades and obsessive comparisons among classmates. So remember, making constant comparisons is the death of all happiness. These behavior patterns suck the fun out of subjects, which may otherwise be enjoyable and reduce students' resilience to disappointment as they base more of their self-worth on achieving very high grades. Also be mindful that flow is related to intrinsic validation and not external rewards. Okay, so there you have it. In this episode, we talked about the etymology of podcasts and fostering flow. And if you like my show, please share with a friend and or loved one and follow or subscribe wherever you are listening so you don't miss an episode. Teachers, you may also want to check out The Lemon Tree by AKS on TPT, formerly known as Teachers Pay Teachers. I'm constantly adding resources and lessons each week, several of which I mention on the podcast. For instance, the stop method and rain printout are now available. So again, check it out on TPT. My shop name is The Lemon Tree by AKS. You can also find a link in the show notes at thelemontreecoaching.com under the resources tab. And once again, this is Dr. Allison Sukamelli saying it's been a pleasure sharing this space with you. And until next time, have fun, be safe.